بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد ونسلی علی رسول الکریم اما آباد الحمد للہ سنائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی سیونتھ آف جنوری ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ Uh, taking a glimpse into the station of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam so in a report sayyida halima radiyallahu she related and this is when she handed back our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam to his noble mother amina radiyallahu and she informed her of what had happened to him namely his chest had been split by two men wearing white garments So this is the background. So Amin radiyallahu said, No, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not do that to him. I harm him. Indeed, my son has a great purpose ahead of him. Should I not inform you about him? Firstly, I carried him in my womb. And by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I never carried a load that was lighter and easier upon me than he was. Then when I carried him, I was made to see light come out of me. Light that illuminated the necks of the camels in Basra. Or she said illuminated the castles in Basra. Then I delivered him. And by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he did not emerge as other children do. He emerged supporting himself with his hands on the ground. And his head was raised towards the sky. She then took him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and we departed. So let's look at this. So first, where is it recorded? The hadith is recorded in Abu Ya'la ibn Ishaq al-Haytabi in Majma al-Zawaid 8-221. Hafiz Zahibi stated in his Sira and Nabawiya, page 8, This hadith has a good chain, and they are also corroborating narrations that strengthen its grading. Therefore, based on those corroborating narrations, the hadith is Hassan. So simply put, the hadith has a sound chain. Well, other chains also support it, therefore it makes it even stronger. So it's a sound report. So now let's add details. So first of all, as we should all know, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was given to a wet nurse who was called Halima radiyallahu So why would the Quraysh give their children, i.e. to the Bedouins? Because they believed that in the pure environment of the desert, this would have a very profound impact upon their children, take them into, away from the city environment. And also give them the milk of the Bedouins. So Halima radiyallahu she famously took the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And many blessings occurred with Rasulullah being sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with Halima radiyallahu But then something happened. One fateful day when Rasulullah was out with the daughter of Halima. Two men came dressed in immaculate white. They laid the Prophet down, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and they literally took his heart out. They washed it. So Halima's daughter thought 
he had been killed. So she rushes back to her mother. She goes, mother, mother, Rasulullah, Muhammad has been killed. So she comes rushing. And when she gets there, Rasulullah is sitting. And he, he looks at, like he's dazed. After that, she was now worried. She was thinking, I need to send him back because something's happened to him. So when she came back, she told this to Amina. She goes, this is what happened. I'm just informing you of what happened. I fear for your son. So Amina, now this is amazing. She comforted Halima. <laughs> so normally when you're handing the son or daughter back to the mother and something traumatic happened to the son or daughter, you have to prepare the mother for the traumatic news. It's role reversal. So look at the thing she said. Now where did she get this knowledge from? The first thing she said, he goes, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will never harm him. How did she know that? So this is the mothers of the Prophet, Allah inspires them. He goes, no, he goes, nothing will happen to my son. Then she said, second thing, where did she get this knowledge from? My son has a great purpose ahead of him. Inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then she said, shall I inform you about my son? Then she said, there has been nothing lighter that I've carried than Rasulullah. She didn't say Rasulullah obviously because it was her son. But I'm saying Rasulullah. Then she said, when I carried him, I saw light emerging out of me, illuminating either the castles or the camels in Basra. So Basra is in Iraq. Or, you know, some other place which I've mentioned outside of the Arabian Peninsula. She goes, I saw light. Then she said, when he was finally born, he didn't emerge as other children are born. I, in, with filth, crying, etc, etc. Because he emerged and he was supporting himself. Now what's strange about that? When a child is born, the midwife has to support the child. She said, he emerged supporting himself with his hands on the ground. And he was looking at the sky. After saying this, she took her son and they departed. So now, from the angle of Amina, this is very important. Because there's a view that Amina was not a Muslim. She was an unbeliever and she died in unbelief. So why or how they come to this understanding because of a hadith. The hadith is in Sayyid Muslim and the Prophet he said, I asked my Lord whether I could visit my mother, I her grave. And Allah the Almighty allowed me. But I then asked her, can I pray for her forgiveness? And he denied me. So this is the hadith. So some have understood from this hadith in Sayyid Muslim that because the Prophet couldn't pray for her, she must not have had Iman. However, this is a very weak and strange view and it's not adopted by the majority of scholars. The majority of scholars, how did they explain this hadith first? Imam Suyuti, he said, Rasulullah was not allowed to pray for the forgiveness of his mother 
because there was nothing for him to pray for her forgiveness for. She's already forgiven. That's one explanation Imam Sayyuti gives. Secondly, he said there's another view that she passed away and she owed something. There was a debt. It was for that that he was not allowed to pray. So whatever angle Imam Sayyuti is elaborating, he's not taken the hadith at all to mean he's died without Iman. What's even more striking is the same hadith is a proof against them. Why? Because what's the first part of the hadith? The Prophet said, I asked, can I see my mother? And Allah Ta'ala said, yes. So he was allowed to visit the grave. So why is that interesting? Because in the Quran, in Surah Tawbah, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, he says to the Prophet never stand at their grave and never supplicate for them. So this is in reference to the hypocrites. So Rasulullah was not allowed to stand at the grave of the unbelievers, nor was he allowed to pray for their forgiveness, the hypocrites being the worst of the unbelievers. So the Quran is saying that he's not allowed to attend or stand near the grave of an unbeliever. But this hadith says, I was allowed to go. So this is a proof she had iman. She was a pure woman. So leaving all that to one side, how do you explain this report? Does this sound like an unbeliever? You know, look at the whole report. So, the scholars state that Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He only mentions a few mothers of the Prophets in the Quran. So, which mothers of the Prophets are mentioned in the Quran? Good. So, let's look at this. So, Musa mother mothers mentioned in the Quran in Surah Qasas. And what are the little things that we are informed about his mother? We are informed that she was inspired to put her child, the noble Musa wasalam, in a tabut, in a container of wood and put him into the Nile so that he would escape. So this is something crazy. Why would you put your child in a closed container in the river which is infested by crocodiles? Allah the Lord goes, I inspired. So the Quran is saying that the mother of Musa was inspired. Which other mother of a prophet is mentioned in the Quran? Isa. Isa. Maryam. Didn't Jibreel speak to her face to face? Wasn't she inspired? So our beloved messenger's mother is mentioned authentically in the Hadith. She's also inspired. So question, what does that tell you about the mothers of the prophets? Allah Ta'ala is highlighting that the mothers of the prophets have to be the most dignified and noble females of the time. Otherwise, why would they be inspired? Allah Ta'ala doesn't inspire unbelievers, right? With goodness. So not here. She was inspired. And look at the things she's saying. I've got no worries about my son. He's got a great future ahead of him. I will inform you about him. And she mentioned things that she observed. And in a more famous report, in a dream, Amin al-Adiyya the Prophet said, my mother saw in a dream that light came out of her, light that illuminated the castles of Asham, Syria, and the neighboring lands. 
This is an Ahmed in his Musnad, 5-262, Hakim in his Mustadrak, 2-600, stated Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari and Muslim, Zahabi Sahih, Al-Hatami in Majma Az-Zawail, 8-222, stated Hassan. So Rasulullah is, is now talking, his revelation. Because my mother saw that light came out of her that illuminated the castles of Sham. So the scholars, they explain this is talking about where Islam will spread to. The light of Islam. Rasulullah was the cause of the spread of Islam. So upon birth, she saw this. Another very important thing, and this is a beautiful point mentioned by Hafiz Al-Alusi, Rahmatullahi, in Ruhul Bayan. He talks about Yunus Jonah And Yunus he was famously swallowed by a fish. We know this. And the reason was because he left without the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Nineveh. He boarded a ship. There was a storm. And he said, you must throw me over. They cast lots. His name came a few times. He was thrown over. And a fish swallowed him. We don't know what fish it was. Some say it was a whale. Allahu Ali. What happened to that fish? If you look at the various reports, one report says that that fish enters paradise. Why? Because Yunus he changed, he made the belly of that fish a masjid. He goes, oh my Lord, I am worshipping you whenever nobody has ever worshipped you. I made this place a masjid. And he prayed. He made, offered salat and he made the famous dua. What did Rasulullah say, that will happen to all masjids? They will return back to paradise. So the fish which carried the Holy Prophet Yunus, became a place of paradise. How is that linked? So Hafiz Al-Adusi, he said, how long did that fish carry Yunus the reports differ. Some say three days, some say seven days, some say 40 days. It doesn't matter. For that period of time, that fish now goes to paradise. He said, then what of Rasulullah's mother who carried him for the full term? Where is she going to go? Think about that. Look at the beautiful point he makes. He goes, this is a fish. Right? And the fish wasn't the mother of Yunus It just had the honor of carrying him for a few days. Then what about the one who carried Rasulullah? The flesh and blood, full term. Where is she going to go? <laughs> so note again, you know, if you look at this this view that her, his mother was, was an unbe- it's very strange to say the least. And yet sadly, a lot of people propagate this view. And this is not the dominant view at all. The dominant view is she was a noble and pure woman. So now, Hafiz Abu Nu'im, he wrote a work, and it's called Dala'il Nubu'ah. That means the evidence of prophethood. And he said something which is certainly worth highlighting. So he said, quoting, Amongst Rasulullah's virtues, said the Lord, he said, is the fact 
that Allah, the Almighty, the All-Powerful, He prohibited people from addressing Rasulullah by His sacred name. But He also informed us that other nations used to call their prophets and messengers by their names. Stop in the quote. So what did the great Hafiz Abu Nu'im Rahmatullah say? He said, we are forbidden from calling Rasulullah by his name. That's why the Sahaba never called him by his name. They addressed him by titles. Ya Rasulullah, Ya Nabiullah, The Prophet said, we are forbidden. But Hafiz Abu Nu'im said, if you read the Quran, Allah clearly mentions that the previous prophets and messengers their ummah called them by their name. Then he quotes proofs. So I'm going to mention a few to highlight where. And look how strange this is to us. He quotes Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 138. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he quotes the people. He said, O Musa, alayhi salatu wa salam, make for us a God as they have gods. Who's saying that? His own ummah, the Muslims. How are they addressing their messenger? Oh Musa, make for us a God as they have gods. Then he quotes, Abu Naim quotes another verse, Surah Ma'idah, Surah 5, verse 112. Ya O Isa, son of Maryam, can your Lord, and the verse continues, who is addressing Isa, the Hawari his intimate disciples, and they called him by name and his mother. He goes, Ya Isa ibn Maryam, O Isa, the son of Maryam, alayhi salatu wasalam. A third proof. In Surah Hud, alayhi salatu wasalam, Surah 11, verse 53, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes, O Hud, alayhi salatu wasalam, you have not brought us. And the verse continues. Who is addressing Hud? His call. O Hud, my name. You've not brought us. He calls a fourth verse, Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 77. O Salih, wasalam, bring about for us. His people are calling him by his name. Then after quoting all these verses, Abu Nu'im then says, Rahmatullah, in Surah Nur, Surah 24, verse 63, Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, do not make the calling of the Rasul وسلم, amongst you as you're calling one another. So look how interesting. All over the Quran, it's scattered that the previous prophets were addressed by their believing ummah and the unbelieving amongst them by their name. The same Quran says to the believers, do not call Rasul by his name, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then Hafiz Abu Nu'im said, Rahmatullah Thus Allah the Most High, subhanahu wa ta'ala, directed them to address him as a prophet or messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in order to raise his status and to venerate him. He selected him from amongst his messengers and prophets for this honor. Now think about that. In the authentic hadith in Ahmad, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Allah Ta'ala has sent 124,000 prophets. Everyone were called by their name. Now think about that. 
If you was an Ummati, let's pick a prophet of Musa alayhi time. Would you even, would that be on your radar? <laughs> You're addressing the messenger. Would you say, Ya Musa? <laughs> it's like, you can't say that. They were all saying it. And yet the same person wouldn't take his father's name. Because, Ya Abati, oh my dear father. So how strange is that? Well, hang in a minute. Why can't I take my father's name? And I can call the Prophet by his name. The reason for that, there was a reason. Allah Ta'ala allowed that. Because Allah Ta'ala wanted to highlight the greatness of the final message. He could have easily have said to any of those blessed ummats of the past, don't call your Prophet by their name. He could have easily have said that. Question, why? Why didn't Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala say that? The wisdom, because he reserved it for Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so that we can appreciate his maqam Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Then Abu Nu'im said Ibn Abbas, he said they used to say O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam O Abu Al-Qasim O Father of Qasim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Thereupon Allah the Almighty forbade them from this in order to honor his Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam thus they changed their address they said, Ya Nabiullah, Ya Rasulullah. This is in Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al Musannaf and Abu Nu'aym in his Dila'i Nubu. So there was a time where they were doing it. Allah then said, No. Now, if you read Surah Hujarat, you get a very interesting verse. And what does Allah the Almighty and Glorious say in Surah Hujarat? The ignorant ones amongst them call you. Call you by your name in your chamber. <laughs> so what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? The Prophet's in his chamber with one of his wives, sallallahu alayhi wa Some ignorant Bedouins came. And they go, Ya Muhammad, come out. Sallallahu alayhi wa Allah ta'ala revealed this verse. Because the ignorant ones are calling you by your name to come out. So Allah ta'ala intervened saying, you must not do this. Sallallahu alayhi wa so this is why you get the ulama and they don't use the Prophet's name. You'll notice this. Because the blessed messenger, the holy prophet, our beloved messenger, the final and most exalted messenger. Fruitcakes, they say this. Muhammad right? So on the face of it, you think, well, he said sallallahu Why did he take his name? Now if a person persists with this, now this is very important. Think about this. Allah the Almighty and Glorious, is He greater than Rasulullah? So again you think, what sort of a question is that brother? <laughs> right? And he goes, of course He's greater. He's the Creator. Rasulullah is the creation. You don't compare the creation to the Creator. So that bit of your Tawheed is sorted. I'm glad that you got that much of your Tawheed sorted out. Next question. So Allah is greater, yes. So, can Allah the Almighty and Glorious, Call his beloved messenger by his name. So what would you say to that? Yes. yes. Because he is the creator. So Rasulullah is his beloved creation. So if Allah addressed him, O Muhammad, we wouldn't but an eyelid. Then you say to that person, show me in the Quran, one place where Allah has done that. 
So he goes, well, sure, it's in Quran. There's the Quran, brother. Take as long as you want. Come back in, a, in after 10 years if you want. Come back and you tell me where Allah has called him by his name. So then he comes back. He goes, I found a few verses. You know, mashallah. What does it say? So they quote, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is not the father of any of your men. But he is Rasulullah, he is Khatam and Nabiyyin. MashaAllah. You're right. Allah has mentioned his name. Who's he talking to? And he goes, well, does it matter? Yes, it does. I said, where is Allah called Rasulullah by his name? And he's talking to him. He's talking to us there. He's talking to us because Muhammad is not the father of any man amongst you. But he is the final messenger. He's Khatam and Nabiyyin, Rasulullah. Okay, okay, that's that verse. Okay, there's another verse. Yes, okay. Muhammad is no more than a messenger. If he dies or is killed, because there is another verse in Surah Ali Imran. Who's he talking to? He's talking to us. That's not a verse. He's talking to us. I want you to show me a verse where Allah is talking to his messenger and calling him by his name. Nowhere. When he talks to his messenger, what does he say? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? He goes, Ya ayyuhal muzammil Oh you who are wrapped up. Ya ayyuhal muddathir Oh, you are, oh, you who are enshrouded. Ya ayyuhal nabi, oh, my prophet. Ya ayyuhal rasul, oh, my messenger. Not once has Allah the Almighty and Glorious, when he's conversing with his beloved, called him by his name. Why is that? And then a person's baffled, he goes, why is that? Because he loves him. Because if I'm not mentioning his name, if I, who have every right to call him by his name, if I'm not calling him by his name, how dare you call him by his name? Even though the verse doesn't say that, no hadith mentions that, but anybody with a grace son could work that out. So look how horrific it is. Allah has never, when he's talked to his beloved, called him by his name. And we do. Allah the Almighty and Glorious since the you know the beginning of time, we can't even put it in words. He's always been sending blessings upon him. It didn't start. There's no starting point to this. There wasn't a point in our history in creation where Allah suddenly said, I think I will now start doing salat upon my beloved. Allah has continuously, pre-eternity, before time or whatever you want to say, was sending salat upon his beloved. Verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his angels are sending salat upon the Prophet. Think about that. How beloved is Rasulullah to Allah? He's always been doing the root upon him. He's always been blessing him. He's never addressed him by his name. So what 
Are we learning about Rasulullah? That he was unique. He was the most exalted of the Prophets. And how sad that we're in his Ummah. And we've still got these wretched habits. Muhammad, the final Prophet. Muhammad was born here. Muhammad fought in Badr. And then you're listening, every time you listen to it, it's like a electric shock. What's he keep saying his blessed name for? So now, to finish. When are we totally allowed to mention his name without any dislike whatsoever? Uh, when you speak to the unbelievers, I was giving doubt to them. Okay. So his name, there is no dislike to mention his name. If the one whom you are addressing does not know who you are talking about. So if a person doesn't know left from right, and you say Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi, he doesn't know what you're talking about. He goes, Messenger of Allah, who's the, who is this Messenger of Allah? So you see this person, he might even be a Muslim. He's completely off the rocker. So in your heart, you mention the Prophet, you say, yeah, I'm mentioning his name only, because this person doesn't know left from right. But you notice when a scholar does do that with a person who's totally off the rocker, he does it once. I've noticed that. So they will say, the Holy Prophet Muhammad was the one who was the final prophet. And he was given, and that's it. Then they'll revert back to Rasulullah. Right? They will not use his name again. And of course to non-Muslims, they don't know left from right. So you mentioned his name. But it's not something you do as habit. And why is this very important? Because in Surah Hajj, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Those who venerate the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has tested their hearts for taqwa. So Allah the Almighty and Lord says that you are a person of taqwa if you venerate anything which I have honored. So look at the things Allah Ta'ala has honored. He's honored mountains. Inna safa wal marwata min Verily safa and marwa are signs of Allah. So we venerate those mountains. How do we venerate them? When we do safa and marwa, we do sa'i. We go and pay our respects. We, do, you know, we humble ourselves. That's a sign of taqwa. Inanimate objects. We venerate the Kaaba. Why? Baytullah, Allah is linked into his name. But then you ask the fruitcake, what is the most honored of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What's top of the list? He should say without hesitation, Rasulullah. Okay, so you've honored Safa Marwa, mountains. You've honored the dwelling, the Kaaba. What about the one who's top of the list? Have you honored him? So this is the sign of taqwa. How do you honor him? You learn how to speak about him. Right? And this is a sign of taqwa. Allah loves this in the creation. That they're honoring Rasulullah. What level did the companions take it to? You can only dream about it. What did Urwa ibn Masood say in Sayyid Bukhari? He said, I have been in the palaces of the Caesar and the Khosrow. But I have not seen the love that the companions have for Muhammad even amongst them. So they asked, what did you see? He said, when he was doing wudu, 
they wouldn't allow the water to touch the ground. They left his body. When he took water out of his mouth, they wouldn't even let that touch the ground. Now think about that. Somebody's doing wudu and somebody goes, he has to clean his mouth. He goggles. And then obviously he respectfully spits it out. The Sahaba wouldn't let that water touch the ground. Dream on, brother, Ashik. Dream on in it. Right? Why were they doing that? Because he's top of the list. Right? Amr ibn al-As, radiyallahu, he said, I cannot describe him. <laughs> Since I've embraced Islam, because I, can't, I couldn't look at him. Now what's strange about that, Amr ibn al-As was three years older than the Prophet. So when he embraced Islam, Amr ibn al-As, radiyallahu, he was about 60 years old. So for 60 years, he wasn't a Muslim. He grew up with the Prophet. He saw him being born. What does it mean when he said, I can't describe him? Because once he embraced Islam, he knew his status. And out of veneration, he couldn't look at him, even though he saw him for 60 years. So what does that tell you? Right? Another sahab, Muhida ibn Shu'bah, in Sayyid Bukhari, Urwa ibn Mas'ud was sent as the emissary of the Quraysh. And he grabbed the Prophet's beard. This was the like, kind of a habit of the Arabs. They'd sit knee to knee and they grab each other's beards. Right? And that's a strange one. Why? Because people haven't got beards now. Right? So when people say, how long was the Prophet's beard? What do you think, brother? Right? You know, right? So anyway, Urwa ibn Mas'ud, Grabs his beard, the blessed beard of the Prophet. This is their culture. It wasn't any sign of disrespect. Mughira ibn Shu'bah standing with his sword and he had a helmet on. With the hilt of his sword, he struck Urwa's hand. He goes, Let go of the beard. So Urwa looks and he goes, Who's this? Because he had a helmet. So somebody said, This is Mughira ibn Shu'bah. <laughs> Now, why was he humorous? Because this was man was from the same tribe as Urwa. It was one of his tribesmen. So he goes, Oh, a treacherous one. He goes, This is how you, you know, talk to your chief. Then he said, If you do it again, you will have no hand. <laughs> In other words, don't try, don't tempt me. I'll chop your hand off if you grab the beard of the Prophet. So Urwa's looking. Then he looks at the other sahab and then he says, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa these people, first chance they've got, they'll leave you. Abu Bakr Siddiq, that he he swore. He goes, may you suck the private parts of Lat. He goes, do you think we're going to leave him? So Urwa looks at him, he goes, who's this? So they go, this is Abu Bakr Siddiq. So Urwa ibn Mas'ud, he said, because if I didn't owe you a favor and I wasn't in debt, I would have given you a befitting reply. Hafiz ibn Qayyim said, Abu Bakr Siddiq was even giving loans to non-Muslims. <laughs> and also, this is Iman. Why? Because if somebody offends the Prophet and you swear, Allah Ta'ala doesn't mind. Abu Bakr Siddiq did it. This is Sunnah. Right? Think about the things that you start swearing over. Right? He swore over somebody. And what, he didn't even say anything. He just said, oh, these people will leave you. First opportunity. 
So then he brought the report back, Urwa. He goes, do not engage with them. In other words, he goes, I've seen what they're doing with the presence of the Prophet. And later, Urwa embraced Islam. Why is that interesting? Because anybody who venerated Rasulullah embraced Islam. When he embraced Islam, look what happened. Urwa ibn Mas'ud. What's interesting, there's a hadith in Sayyid Muslim which mentions that he resembled Isa alayhi He was very handsome. So when he was sent and, they were, and he was grabbing the beard of Rasulullah it was like Christ holding the beard of Rasulullah. <laughs> what a scene in Muslim beat. <laughs> and anyway, Urwa embraced Islam. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, let me go back. I'll invite my tribe to Islam. Rasulullah said, I fear for you. Meaning, look, you're their chief, but I don't trust your people. He goes, no, they won't do anything. I'm their chief, Ya Rasulullah. Because they wouldn't hurt a hair on my head. So he goes, okay. So Urwa goes back to Taif, Thaqif. He's on the balcony. He invites them to Islam. They shoot an arrow to him, martyred him. And when he was martyred, what did Rasulullah say? He is very similar to the martyr mentioned in Surah Yasin. Habib, who gave his life defending the prophets. So this was Urwa ibn Mas'ud. So note the whole scenario. Why am I mentioning all this? Because look at the station of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa His station was immense and even his enemies testified to that. Think about that. Who paid them? So all I mentioned today was talking about our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa Mentioned a little bit about his beloved mother Sayyidah Amina radiyallahu Hopefully clarifying on a few misconceptions. Then I mentioned that Allah the Almighty and Glorious does not call him by his name when he's speaking to his beloved. So how dare we mention his name? And then I mentioned some examples of the unbelievers, the relation that they saw from the companions. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi, subhanallah Allahumma bihamdika ashtu la ilaha illa anta astaghfiraka atu balik wa fikullahi wa shalala jim. Subhanallah rabbi ka rabbi izzati wa maizifun. As-salamu ala lubu al-salamu alhamdulillahi wa 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 alhamdulillahi wa